0: I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's doing well. Embracing another day, another week, as we get that much closer to the month of September to Labor Day, to dare I say fall, still a lot of time between now and then, but the clock just keeps on ticking, same for the sports world, and here to deliver it all on a silver platter, from my lips to your ears, is none other than yours truly, J Reels, here the host of the J Reels Podcast, for my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 150 episodes, another landmark here in the J Reels Podcast, I welcome you guys back, it is a Monday, August the 17th, in the year of our Lord 2020, The J Reels What's the deal segment What to expect here On this podcast Is as follows The NHL quarterfinals Are in full effect And the big story Coming out of the bubble Especially in Toronto Is Boston Bruins goalie Tuka Rask And how he opted out After two games In the first round And two and a half weeks In the bubble He decided that He couldn't take it anymore He had to Move on and be with his family He has a wife A newborn And two other girls A lot of controversy Surrounding that You'll get my take on what this means, not only for the Bruins, but also his choice and opting out a few weeks into the NHL bubble up in Toronto. We'll also get into the college football scenario where we know the Pac-12 and Big Ten will not play college football this fall and whether or not I'll be losing sleep over it, that's not going to be the case. But an interesting development came up over the weekend where a Big Ten quarterback is actually petitioning to play this year and has received over 30,000 signatures Up until yesterday afternoon So you know I have to share my thoughts on that As well as what's happening in the NFL With Jerry Jones And this anthem policy How he's pretty much staying mum, And he's consulted the president Former presidents Former players Athletes Whatever And to me It may be much to do about nothing But again it is Jerry Jones Probably the most visible owner in all of sports So you know I have my two cents on that Also catching up with baseball As the Reds are now the next team up As far as A COVID-19 case with one of their players, how that's going to play into effect considering that another NL Central team just got back to playing on the diamond over the weekend and what that may do for the schedule, for baseball, etc. And the NBA playoffs kicks off today where the Lakers as an underwhelming number one seed, all of that to get to plus my hero and zero of the week. And with the NHL in full playoff mode, the NBA tips off today. After eight regular season games, after a playing game on Saturday between the Portland Trail Blazers and the Memphis Grizzlies, we will have playoff basketball. One thirty today is the first game, I believe, between Utah and Denver. Four games today, four games tomorrow, pretty much every other day you're going to get wall to wall basketball as here we are in mid-August with everything that's gone on in this country over the last four and a half to five months, we're going to have the start Of the road to an NBA final And crowning, hopefully An NBA champion As we all know The bubble has been very successful in the NBA We've seen the exploits of a 1TJ Warren Of the Indiana Pacers And what he's done to lead his team to Hosting the Miami Heat Where the little rivalry or war of words Between Jimmy Butler And a 1TJ Warren went back and forth Going back to the regular season As it was in January Where Jimmy Butler called TJ Warren trash, and that he can't defend them, etc. Well, that's pretty much been water under the bridge at this point. And now when you look at the whole scope of the postseason, before we even get to all the series, but the big story coming out over the last two weeks has been the play of Damian Lillard and how the Portland Trailblazers were able to overcome. And remember, going back to pretty much the middle of the summer when the NBA was looking to see what they're going to do as far as the bubble and what teams they were going to invite because they wanted to make it broad. They just didn't want to go into the bubble starting the postseason with the records where they were left off back in March, the 11th or 12th. And one of the things that Lillard said is that I do not want to participate in a bubble if I don't have a shot to make it to the postseason. Well, guess what? He got it and he deserves it and certainly earned it as being the bubble MVP with his exploits, especially not just all, all eight games, but what he did this past week, whether it was scoring 51 points against the Sixers and then topping that off with 61 against Dallas, scoring 42 against Brooklyn, and then only scoring 31 in Saturday's game against the Memphis Grizzlies, that playing game as I talked about, the 8-9 game if you want to call it that, in a game where John Morant actually outscored him, had 42 points but then was Revealed afterwards, where he broke his right thumb four games prior to that. So he was playing hurt and valiant on his part, but they fell short the Memphis Grizzlies. And we know they have a pretty bright future, obviously, with he being the face of the franchise. But with Portland right now, I know that they're the sexy team. Everybody's looking at them to see if they could beat the Lakers. And I'm going to get to the Lakers in a little bit because I read a story over the weekend from Brian Windhorst of ESPN who obviously has followed LeBron James' career pretty much since high school, and how he called them an underwhelming, and that's not the quote by any stretch. Let me see if I can pull that up. He said that they were the least valuable number one seed in history, and I find that to be a stretch, but I'll get to that in a second because right now it's about Portland and pretty much their journey to get to this point. In Portland, I get everybody's going to jump on that bandwagon considering how great Lillard has been here, And even with their team starting to come back together, whether your name is Yusef Nurkic, who suffered a huge loss in his family with his grandmother, and all he did was pull off a 22-point, 21-rebound game with six assists, two blocks, two steals in that decisive playing game. And Nurkic is a guy that could certainly fill a huge void, especially offensively when you look at this Blazer team, because when you think of Portland, you think of, of course, Lillard and CJ McCollum. And that's pretty much it. You want to throw in Zach Collins as another big who's in there. And we can't forget Carmelo Anthony, who pretty much hit the biggest shot of the game in icing that victory against Memphis. But we know this isn't Carmelo's team. Carmelo certainly is going to contribute at times, but he's not going to be the focal point of the Blazers' success moving forward if they do happen to get past the Lakers. And I'm going to say this now, this is not going to be a hot take by any stretch of imagination, but I think the clock's going to strike 12 on the Blazers. Lillard could only do but so much. And I understand he's going to be a matchup nightmare for the Lakers, considering they don't have Avery Bradley, who had opted out prior to the bubble, who, as we all know, is a very good, if not top notch, defensive player and defensive guard in this league. You may see LeBron matching up against Lillard at times, depending on how much he gets off in some of these games. And Portland, although they won two to three games against the Lakers this year. And one of those games was the first game back after Kobe's death, that Friday night ESPN game, which I watched, and Lillard was stellar in that game. But now it's the postseason. You're going to get to see these guys game in, game out. It's going to be one game every other day. Not going to be a lot of breaks, which could possibly help Portland because they've been on this magic carpet right here to the point where now they've made it to the postseason. They have all the momentum on their side. But as we know, all it takes is just that one game to get the momentum, the one game to have that performance that the team, a la the Lakers, have been waiting for, considering they've been a little bit sluggish here in the bubble. But I feel as if Portland, for everything that they've done to this point, and that's not to say they're going to get swept or they're going to get embarrassed here. I'm sure they're going to perform well. I'm sure game one, they're going to try to go in there and steal that game. But it's just a tall order to ask for a team that's... Pretty much had playoff games every single day since they've entered the bubble and then now they have to ratchet it up against a team as we all know is one of the odds on favorites to not only make it to the finals but of course win it could this be an upset in the making I mean it could I mean the two teams are playing against one another but I just kind of wonder if the Blazers are going to run out of gas here not to say it's going to happen in game one or game two but as the series goes deep whether it does Reach five, six, or seven games, but I'm sure you're going to see a little bit of wear and tear on this Portland Trailblazer team, and therefore I can't see them getting past this first round. Uh, That's just my opinion. I'm sure a lot of the people feel that way, and I have nothing against Damian Lillard. He's a guy that has certainly increased his profile, not only throughout the league, but even throughout sports. For those who aren't really NBA fans, and especially people who aren't in the Pacific Northwest, who Don't know who Damian Lillard is. Well, now they do know. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to watch just to see how he's going to perform here in this first round against the star-studded Laker team, which has championship aspirations. And the first time they made a number one seed going back for a decade. So here we are now, and I'll segue into this postseason. And we'll start out west, considering we're talking Portland and the Lakers. Now, Rajon Rondo... Has been cleared as far as the quarantine is concerned But we do not know whether or not he's going to be in the lineup Remember, he suffered a broken thumb way back in the beginning of this bubble And it's already been five weeks The process, prognosis was anywhere between six to eight weeks Who knows if we're going to see him in his first round I would think not But with Rondo, with all the playoff minutes that he's logged And the experience that he has would certainly benefit the Lakers Considering other than LeBron And remember, even Anthony Davis doesn't have a ton of postseason experience either. But the Lakers are bereft of that. Sans LeBron. Yes, you could tell me Danny Green. I get it all those years with the Spurs and obviously last year with Toronto. But as we all know, this is a young team. This is a team that is going to be on the shoulders of LeBron James. And I'd be very shocked if the Lakers, can they go six games against the Blazers? I could see maybe the Blazers winning two games. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers are going to fare here only because I'm sure they're going to see the press clippings I'm sure they're going to look at how they've underperformed here in the bubble there's going to be a lot of chinks in the armor that people are going to say as far as Davis not having the experience to now carry this team to be that next Laker and know that LeBron although he is still the pretty much the face of the league let's face it but at the same time if Davis is going to Stamp his approval as far as being one of the guys If not the guy in the NBA This is his time to do it We haven't seen that on a big stage Other than him sweeping Portland in the first round a couple years ago But again, it's first round You're not going to do cartwheels or backflips because of it But now that we have the Lakers front and center here As far as them being a least favorite or underwhelming number one seed uh, That's just a joke The Lakers are a one seed for a reason They've had a very good year. Have they had stretches where they haven't performed too well? All teams have done that. Because they're the Lakers, the spotlight is on them, so it's going to get magnified that much more. Now, how I look at it is, is that if the Lakers are going to have, I'm not going to say a cakewalk, but if they're going to have an easy first round, I would see them just taking care of business right away. And the one sign that you're going to see, especially in this first series, is how they're going to neutralize Lillard, as much as they can, or who knows, maybe their game plan is let Lillard score 50. As long as everybody else scores 45, then as long as the Lakers reach 100, they're going to win these games. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the game plan. You would think they may look at Lillard and say, Hey, have him go off, unless he's just in super heat check mode. But I would think that the Lakers are going to cruise to a first round series. And even if it is six games, I don't think they're going to be six hard fought games. Will there be a couple of tough games in between? Absolutely, I would think. And I'm not trying to say all these games are going to be Lakers 117, Portland 95. But at the same time, it's a combination of Lakers have waited for this moment. It's only the first round. They're not going to take the Blazers lightly. The Blazers, you would think they're going to start coming down from this high of the last two weeks and everything that Lillard has done. And it's not to say that Lillard's going to have bad games or he's not going to play well here. But I just think that the As I said earlier, the clock's going to strike 12 on the Blazers, and the Lakers, I would think, will win this first round. I'm going to say six games, just to give the Blazers a little credit here. I don't think they're going to lay an egg coming into this postseason, but that's how I'm looking at this first round, where everybody's probably going to think that Portland's going to take the Lakers to a seventh game, or it's going to be a hard-fought series. I I just don't see it right now, despite the fact that the Lakers have not played well. And this is coming from a guy Who can't stand the Lakers So it's not as if I have the pom-poms Out for LeBron and company Out in La La Land As far as the rest of the West is concerned The only other intriguing series And it would have been intriguing If this was not bubble related Or obviously if this was the normal As far as the way the country has been Would be the Oklahoma City Thunder And Houston Rockets Because you would have the dynamic Of Chris Paul going up against His former team in the Rockets And we all know Russell Westbrook going up against his one-time team in Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, Westbrook, as you know, has been out of the lineup. Don't know when he's going to return. Westbrook, as we have said time and time again on this podcast, we know how a relentless competitor he is, and certainly he's going to give it his all. And you wonder what this first round, how many games he's going to be out. Again, it is indefinite. You would think you're going to see his face at some point the series. And this is going to be a tooth and nail. This guy could see being seven games. And especially without Westbrook in the lineup. Because you got to give the Thunder credit. They have played well. Who would have thought that Chris Paul, even after the trade, would have accepted going to OKC considering that Paul George went to LA and they got a surplus of picks back. And they're certainly looking toward the future as far as rebuilding their franchise post Russell Westbrook and even Kevin Durant when he left via free agency a few years back to Golden State. So I look at this first round as very intriguing to see who's going to come out of that. I would think, listen, my head will say Houston. My heart will say, okay, see, because I'm sure Chris Paul is going to want to show the critics that just because they traded me doesn't mean that I'm washed up or I'm old. He could still play. I think that's going to be a seven game series, but I would look at Houston probably winning that series in seven. As far as Dallas and the Clippers, this is going to be a young test for a... Maverick team with the likes of Luka Doncic And we know Kristaps Porzingis Who's first time in the postseason Well for both of them And I could see this being A back of the woodshed You're going to learn today type series Or maybe Dallas will win a game Would they win two? Could I be surprised with that? And you got to remember These series are not every other day Which may not help the Clippers With the old playoff schedule Sometimes you would have The first series stretched out Over two weeks And at the end of the day It's pretty much the same here But for example Let's say if they were to play today And I have to check the schedule Because I believe they do play today Or if not tomorrow It doesn't matter But let's say if they were to play today Monday And then let's say they were Next game would be Wednesday night They probably wouldn't play till Saturday Or maybe even till Sunday Because as you know The NBA likes to stretch out that first round And have these games scattered about Well that's not going to be the case this time around And you wonder with Kawhi Leonard All the rest that he's received here Not only due to the pandemic But resting certain games down the stretch To get them ready for the postseason It's every other day he's going to have to ramp it up So we may not know what kind of Kawhi Leonard We're going to get long term This first round you would think we're going to get The full 100% I think that they're going to show Dallas What it's like to be in a postseason It's a different world And Luca, I'm sure he's going to have his moments But I would think with the way Doc Rivers and how he handles his defense, they're going to do whatever it takes to slow him down. Maybe even Porzingis gets off. But knowing that Luka is the focal point of that team, I could see the Clippers winning in five games. And then the final series out West is Utah and Denver. Now, Utah is going to be without Mike Conley as he's going to leave the bubble. He's already left the bubble to prepare for his son's birth. Who knows how long he's going to be out. You would think he's going to be out most of the first round. Because even if let's say his son is born within the next day or so He'll come back to the bubble And I believe he has to be four days quarantined Before he even gets back on the court So you may be looking at possibly game four Maybe even game five before you may see Mike Conley Which is going to be a loss And Denver with everything that they've done this year I could see this being a long series I'm going to say Denver in six If Conley comes back And if Utah is a lead, that could be and bode well for Utah. But I would think Denver, with all that they've done this year, and how they are going to look to their big guy and Nikola Jokic to be the man and hopefully go deep into this postseason, unlike they did last year. Remember, they lost to Portland in that second round, game seven at home. So I'm sure they want to atone for that. Not that they could do it all in the first round, but I would think Denver will come out victorious here. Over the Utah Jazz And I think it could be a long series That could be seven games too And you know I'm not trying to make Mike Conley out to be Isaiah Thomas Back in the day Detroit Pistons But he is going to be A key loss here early on And you would think Denver would survive That first round series Now when you look at the East I'll talk about my Celtics last I'll start off with Orlando, Milwaukee Do I even need to go there? If Milwaukee loses one game I'd have to raise an eyebrow Now, Orlando hasn't played too bad here in the bubble. And I understand maybe somewhat home cooking for these guys, although they haven't left the bubble. But if Milwaukee does not sweep this first round series, then something's got to be going on there with the Buck team and how they may have been laxed or whatever. But we'll see how this all unfolds. But there's no way this goes anywhere past five games. I'm going to pick the Bucks in four for obvious reasons. And to me, they have... After the Lakers, the next biggest spotlight on them because everybody has talked about the Lakers from the start of the season, especially once they got Anthony Davis. And then now that's number one storyline. And then the second storyline is having the Milwaukee Bucks try to get to the NBA Finals for the first time in forever. But even more so with the disappointment of last year up 2-0 against Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals and then getting swept from there and on out. So let's see what Giannis and company does. First round should be a piece of cake. So I'm picking them in four. Brooklyn and Toronto. Now, Brooklyn has played very well here in the bubble. But remember, no Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Durant. They've done it pretty much with guile and guts and heart. Is it going to be enough to win one game? I would say they win one game, but Toronto's going to win this in five. And as far as Toronto's concerned, people are going to look at them as a formidable opponent to get back to an NBA final, and why not? They're also a team that a lot of people look at and feel as if after last year losing Kawhi Leonard, that there was no way that they would get back to a final. And here they are, a team that is certainly finals worthy. And in this first round, it shouldn't be much of a sweat fest getting up and down the court against a Brooklyn Net team. But I could see Toronto, and that'll be a very interesting second round if they do play the Celtics, to see how far that they could go, whether it's back to a final or certainly a rematch with Milwaukee. So, that's something just to keep an eye on as far as the Raptors are concerned, because everybody wants to talk Lakers, everybody wants to talk Bucks. A lot of people, even these, they want to talk Celtics. And I'll get to them in a minute. But the forgotten team, and as crazy as it sounds, it may be a lot of disrespect to a defending champion. But the Raptors, and people do respect them. But as far as getting any shine going back to an NBA final, a lot of people think it's either going to be Bucks or Celtics. But I'm sure they're going to have a lot to say between now and then as far as that's concerned. Next up you have Miami and Indiana going at it, and this is a series where it's pretty much a coin flip. I'm going to say Miami only because the pedigree of Spolstra, Jimmy Butler seems as if he's determined, he's ready to take this team on his shoulders to try to go as far and as deep into this postseason as he possibly can. Indiana, I think for everything that they've done this year, they're just going to come up a little bit short. I wouldn't be surprised if this series gets a little bit testy, despite earlier me talking about how Jimmy Butler has pretty much buried the hatchet with the whole T.J. Warren rivalry, but I could see Warren taking that a little bit personal. You may get some tempers flaring out in the court between both teams. I could see it being that type of a series. Now again, with no fans in the crowd and not having the building with the scenario and the atmosphere that you would want to have or want to see in a postseason, but I could see this being a long, fought, hard series between these two teams. So I'm going to pick the Heat in seven. And then the one team that has gotten literally no shine, it's because of the injuries that have beset them. When your name is Bill Simmons with the dislocated kneecap and even Joel Embiid who turned an ankle and who knows what his status is going to be. You would think he's going to start playing. And the first game is today, 6.30 p.m. between the Celtics and Sixers. And as a Celtic fan, I'm not looking at this series as one that it's going to be a cakewalk. Even with Simmons out and Embiid hurt. Now, we know that the Sixers, they have underachieved here. I think their coach is going to be fired. Unless, somehow, someway, they win this series and go deep into the postseason. But he is certainly walking the plank right now in Philadelphia. Even with these injuries. But... I'm still a little bit nervous and still a little bit afraid of this team because they do have a lot of talent and they have a lot of firepower. And who knows, even without Simmons in the lineup, it may even help because a lot of people think that the Simmons and Embiid dynamic on the court have not been able to coalesce here during the time that they've been playing here in Philadelphia. I can see the Celtics winning this series in six games only because I don't trust Brett Brown, the coach. And how could you trust Embiid? Everybody knows how I feel about Embiid. He's a guy who's a wonderful player, wonderful talent. I think his coach doesn't use him the way he should, despite the game not being what it once was with a big man. But I'm sorry. If you could put him in the low post, forget about the three points. Have him dominate, unlike any center in the NBA, and don't dictate to what the rest of the league is doing. Work to your strengths. And that's where Brett Brown has been getting killed here, because when you have Joel Embiid out in the perimeter shooting three-pointers, that's the last thing you want. And I don't care if he gets hot in one game. I don't care if he hits four or five, three pointers and a half. My thing is, is that guy is 7-2 and he is unstoppable and unguardable. So why not use him to his strengths? But of course, everybody wants to just shoot threes because that's the way the league is right now, instead of using their strengths the way they should. And as we all know, Brett Brown is a guy that is looking at his exit, especially if he gets embarrassed here in his first round, despite not having one. Of his best players If not both And the Celtics Real quick A lot of people think That they make a deep run here I feel as if The Celtics can do that But let me see them Get past this round And then we'll talk about Toronto And I'll leave it at that Can they beat Toronto In a seven game series? Of course They're going to be Matched up against them Most likely But Toronto As we all know They're very resourceful They have a very Good system there A great coach And Nick Nurse And Brad Stevens Who did get a contract extension and rightfully so for everything that he's done here. But at the same time, I don't know what I'm going to get from Kemba Walker. I don't know what I'm going to get from Gordon Hayward. I would think I know what I'm going to get from both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But Walker's injury and his knee, that's going to be critical for me as far as how deep they go into this postseason. And Hayward cannot float in and out of these games. I understand he's not going to be the Utah All-Star where he's going to average anywhere near 19 to 22 points a game and 8 boards But I can't have one game Him going let's say 11 for 14 And scoring 25 points And then the next game he's 3 for 8 with 7 points And that to me is Hayward's tenure here as a Celtics And granted we know the first year You got to throw out the window with the ankle And even last year him on the comeback And getting 100% confident to play on that ankle But as we know now there's just no excuse And not to say he should be dominating at a 25-point-per-game clip, but I just don't want to see the inconsistency of Hayward. And to me, that's going to be the key component to see how far the Celtics go this year. It's those two guys. Because Tatum, you feel he's going to get his points and he's going to have his moments. Same for Jalen Brown. He's going to provide the defense. To me, it's the other two guys and what they're going to do. And if they play well and they're consistent... The Celtics will go far If one of them doesn't play well Or they're both inconsistent Chances are they're not going to go To a conference final Or even NBA final I think they'll get past this round It helps that Simmons is not there As well as Embiid maybe not being 100% And he's a guy you get in his head I know Marcus Morris isn't there anymore But You get my drift with the Sixer team And at the beginning of the year I picked Denver and Milwaukee As my NBA final And I can't say that, that I got to stick with it uh, I'm not going to change it Right now I'm not going to say Lakers-Bucks or Clippers-Bucks. I'm going to keep it as Denver and Milwaukee for now. But uh, I'm sure at the end of the day, the last two teams standing probably will not be one of those two teams. And we're talking about the Nuggets here. You would think the Bucks will get there. But will we see any first round upsets? I don't think we will. I think the closest we may get to an upset in the first round, and I'm not talking a 4-5 or matchup. I just don't see it. But if there were to be one upset, I, I'm sorry, I can't even give you one. I think the one big upset, and I understand the 3-6 with Boston and Philly. If Philly wins this round, I'm sure a lot of people picking the Celtics and burying the Sixers, and rightfully so. But to me, that would be an upset considering no Simmons and Embiid. And, and I hate to say that, I'm not trying to reverse jinx this thing, but... I cannot see Portland beating the Lakers I cannot see Orlando beating Milwaukee I cannot see Even in the 2-7 Brooklyn beating Toronto Dallas beating the Clippers It's just not going to happen So gun to my head If there's going to be one upset It's going to be that one Philly beating Boston As far as a couple other things Alvin Gentry dismissed his coach in New Orleans Which is a tough break for him And I got news for you, for David Griffin and everything that we talked about over the last couple of weeks with Zion, and we know he had to leave the bubble due to a family emergency, and I'm sure his hands were tied, not wanting to play Zion in these fourth quarters, and then they did play in that one fourth quarter against Memphis, pretty much those first couple of games back in the bubble. But if the analytics and the GM and the department gotten involved, with some of the decision-making here, it's just unfair. And Gentry, I feel he should have gotten at least one more year. Now, I don't know if he was a lame duck. I don't know if he had two more years left. Who knows? But to me, that was a a raw deal for New Orleans. And I'm sure they're going to go with a younger coach. Off the top of my head, I don't know who the assistant is, whether they'll promote him or go outside of the organization remains to be seen. But I just thought Gentry got a raw deal there to not have a whole full season With Zion, with all the talent that's on that team To try to take it to the next level Start off next year, fine If they get off to a slow, sluggish start Then pull the plug But now, I just thought With everything that happened this year The pandemic Zion not playing in the first 36 games Whatever it was uh, I just thought it wasn't a fair deal for Coach Gentry Staying out West Vlade Divac is out as Kings GM Joe Dumar is going to fill that role Divac is just a huge part of that organization For so many years And Unfortunately, it came down to a thing where Sacramento was just not able, with all the draft picks that they've received over the years and not being able to put it all together. Of course, the full guy is going to be the GM, and that's where Divac is on the outs. We'll see what Joe Dumars does. We know Dumars from his days at Detroit, being an executive in this league. We know what he did as a player, and now let's see what he could do to turn around a Sacramento Kings franchise to get them back to anywhere near their prominence in the Western Conference of the early 2000s. Of course, they didn't make it to an NBA final, but we know how good they were during that stretch when they had Mike Bibby, Chris Webber, Pages, Zoyakovich, etc. So we'll see what uh, happens there with the Kings this coming offseason with their new VP and GM, Joe Dumars. All right, we'll stick with the postseason and we'll turn our attention to the NHL. And before we get to the series... The big news over the weekend Was the goalie for the Boston Bruins Tuka Rask Who opted out just a couple of hours before game 3 Against the Carolina Hurricanes And when I first read that First I was shocked Because anytime you have your goaltender In particular Not to say he's the quarterback of the team To me Goalies are more like starting pitchers They're more like aces And Tuka Rask is one of the top goalies In the sport Is he a guy that could bring a team to a Stanley Cup final? We've seen that twice in 2013 and also last year against St. Louis. And with the Bruins and what they've done this year, not only winning a President's Trophy and even though stumbling out of the gate here with those round-robin games to get the top seeding where they didn't even win a game and they ended up being fourth as far as seeding in the Eastern Conference is concerned, but for Rask to opt out To say that he wanted to be with family He has a newborn Two girls A wife The first impression I thought was Why would he do this Two and a half weeks into the bubble Like if he was Reserved And certainly reticent to Want to participate In the bubble Don't you think he would have At least Opted out Maybe even after the Round Robin games Before the start of the postseason now that would have been a bad optic But now two hours before game three You're in the middle of a series And for him to do that But then when you see why And you hear the reasons And his family whatever And he has the right to do that As much as I don't want to kill the guy That's a little bit too strong But as much as I want to be critical of him In this day and age You can't Now I'm sure his teammates Maybe Privately They're probably wondering Why did he choose now to do this Why can he do this even leading up to the round robin games Now remember they trekked up to Toronto what Was it July 24th, 25th And their first game wasn't until A few days after that You would think that It would have been a couple of days You try to settle in And then it, if your heart's not in it Then that's it Now the one silver lining in all this Is that Rask did tell The front office Coaching staff, etc That he has thoughts about Opting out so they had been privy to his decision making Or at least to him being apprised Apprising the front office Whether or not that he Doesn't think he's going to stay So that was a good thing It wasn't as if he woke up one morning And decided to Pull a Yoannis Where they Went to his hotel room Knocked on the door They opened it up And all of his belongings were gone So they didn't have an idea That this may Be coming I don't know about the teammates I'm sure A lot of the teammates From what I've Read They've been supportive They understand They're going to move on And their goalie is Jaroslav Halak Who was a former Islander And also has lots of playoff experience But when you have your backup go in, It's a lot different than having the one guy Who's been your mainstay Not only throughout the whole year But you got to remember Throughout the last Five, six years And as tough as it is For the Bruin fan to swallow And even for someone like myself Who's a podcast host this was one you just gotta let go. Was it right for him to do it now? You can't say it was right and wrong. If that was that's what his decision was, then so be it. Bottom line is it's a tough call. That's what he wants to do. You just gotta grin and bear it and move on. Because it's easy for me to come out and say, Oh, he should have played, oh, what was he doing? Yeah, we could talk about the reasoning behind it to say why two and a half weeks later, why right before game three, etc. All those questions are legit. But for us to look on the outside and be super critical of it, I think we have to temper that a bit. And you know me, I'd be the first one to be like, oh, that's insane, that's crazy. Like I mentioned earlier with Joanna Espinosa. Because we know that was a crock of him opting out because of COVID. That's just nonsense. We're here... Different story Obviously much different scenario So therefore you just have to Just take it And move on And hope that your team can move on And they certainly did so yesterday Or a couple days ago Where now the Bruins have a 2-1 series lead On the Carolina Hurricanes The NHL postseason in full effect Where right now Although you've had some exciting overtime games But you only have one series As of right this very minute Where it's 2-2 All the other series are either 2-1 or 3-1 or 3-0 and the 3-0 belongs to the New York Islanders which they're making me look bad because I thought that the Capitals would go in there and win in six games. I get that the Barry Trotz former coach of the Washington Capitals him knowing his former team the coach of the Capitals Todd Reardon was an assistant under him and pretty much what they've done here in these first three games have shown them who's boss. And the Capitals Ovechkin, although he had scored a goal early in game two, but has not done much in this series. We know Nicholas Backstrom, who the Capitals did not like that hit there in game one. And Backstrom, as we all know, is a key piece to that offense when it comes to the Capitals. And now they're on the brink of being swept, which game four will be tomorrow night. And I've been surprised here more than anybody. I know the Islanders, as tough as they are, and it all stems from the top there with their coaching staff and trots in particular. But I just didn't think they're going to have enough firepower to get past the capital team as we know Is had a dominant regular season. You know that the Caps were looking forward to getting back to this spot considering last year they lost in the first round to the Carolina Hurricanes. And here they are just one game away from being extinct in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. Now this is reminiscent to me as an Islander fan to last year. When the Islanders were playing against a championship pedigree team They were up 3-0 I said to myself There's not going to be a sweep And it's a little bit different this time around Because there's no home ice advantage No travel involved Where everything, as we all know, in the bubble But with this capital team You never know All it takes is just one game Anything could happen If this was another team that I could care less about I would say, ah, oh, the series is over It's either going to be a sweep or in five games But with the Islanders because they don't have the firepower And even though their system is clicking on all cylinders right now Getting power play goals, getting key goals from key players Obviously the Barzal goal in overtime yesterday And the Islanders are just one win away from going to the second round And all I could say is that I'm ecstatic Now I'm ecstatic to the point where Hopefully this could be The beginning of something Unlike last year Where after the sweep Against the Pittsburgh Penguins They just fell flat on their faces To the Carolina Hurricanes Where they got swept But the Islanders can do some damage here But Going back to last year You wonder If they do happen to win tomorrow night How much long of a layoff Is it going to be For this team Just like last year Where they didn't perform well And they weren't able to score Against Carolina That's number one And the second thing is is that they better not be a letdown and hopefully history will not repeat itself knowing that last year they were able to beat a Penguin team as we know who had won back-to-back Cups in the middle of the 2010s and then we look at this Capital team another veteran leading team a team that won a Cup two years ago on the verge of getting swept it's almost the same script this time around but let's see if it's going to have a different ending if they A, do happen to sweep and B, how they perform in the next round so just something to keep uh, an eye on there And the postseason began with a bang Although I feel as if the first round has been Pretty much a dud I know you've had these overtime games And we all know Stanley Cup overtime Is nothing like it But certainly The first hockey game of the postseason With Tampa And Columbus That 6 hour 5 OT epic Which started at 3 o'clock And ended sometime after nine—fourth longest game in history the goalie for the Blue Jackets and Eunice Corposalo made 85 saves which is an all-time record obliterated Kelly Rudy's Easter epic I'll never forget it April 19th 1987 I watched the what was it till almost 2 in the morning with my dear friend John Irving so he obliterated Rudy's save record for a postseason and Tampa right now they're up 2-1 in their series against Columbus looking for a little payback after getting swept in the first round last year in the huge regular season that the Lightning had a year ago. And then to wrap up with the East. Montreal and Philadelphia. After a 5 nothing Wipeout. In game 2. Where a lot of people thought the Flyers. Jeez. What happened there? Montreal. Just blew their doors off after losing game 1. And they came back with 5 nothing Written all over it. But then last night. They were able to jump ahead in the series. with Now up 2 games to 1. And you would think that Philly will now. Right in the ship. And see if they could cruise. Or at least get to. Four victories And move on to the next round Now Montreal I'm sure They'll be heard from again Considering that Philly I don't know what that was Just a night off there On Friday For them not to Be in the game at all I'm sure there was a lot of urgency Last night Knowing that they didn't want to Fall flat on their face And they bounced back there With a victory Out West The only series that you have That's equal at 2-2 Is Calgary and Dallas Where Joe Pavelski Had the overtime winner there yesterday To beat the Flames So now who knows what's going to happen. It's a best of three. Could that go seven games? I would think. Why not? And then Chicago staved off elimination and being swept, beating the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday, but they're still down three games to one in that series. Vancouver, who had a 2-0 series lead against the Stanley Cup champions. Well, St. Louis gets an overtime goal from Braden Shen yesterday to keep themselves alive and in business. Although still down two games to one, but the Blues certainly looking to defend their Stanley Cup champion and hopefully that they could uh, go ahead and get the equalizer tomorrow in that series and in Colorado who a lot of people think out west could go to the Stanley Cup final they're up two games to one against the Arizona Coyotes and that's pretty much what we have here in the NHL as far as the Stanley Cup postseason is concerned and we'll continue to keep our eyes on that as well as the NBA as they tip off as I said earlier later this afternoon now one last thing before I turn to baseball. The Rangers winning this draft lottery And chances are they're going to take the prized winger Alexis Lafreniere When I heard that come down I Any team but the Rangers To get the number one pick And a lot of people think Oh maybe the fix is in Because the person who had the ping pong ball I don't think it was Bettman I think it was somebody else who had the ping pong ball They dropped it And of course let the conspiracy theories begin As far as this being rigged or fixed But for the Rangers to get the number one pick uh. Now, Edmonton, remember, they had three number one picks back, you know, way back when, when the stretch where they had Connor McDavid, I believe, Ryan, Nugent Hopkins, and I want to say Taylor Hall could have been the other one, the other number one pick. But anyway, they had three in a row or three in four years, whatever that was, and then now the Rangers of all teams. And it was a little screwy how this draft lottery became, came about this year because the team who had the worst record was not going to get the ping pong balls their way. And all the teams got, I guess, the fair amount of ping pong balls. Rangers had a 12% chance. I think a lot of the teams were pretty much in the same area as far as being able to get the number one pick is concerned. So it wasn't as if 25% went here, 18% went there, 14, etc. It was pretty much even across the board. But of course, of all teams, the New York Rangers? Now, let me take you back just real quick. The Rangers were, to me, like the Yankees. I couldn't stand them. And mind you, the Rangers do not have any type of history the way the Yankees do as far as tradition is concerned we get that the Rangers are an original six team but at the same time I could not stand them I wouldn't want them to win for anything and mind you June 14th 1994 they won that cup and I had to experience that and it was just brutal and it's not to say because of them potentially drafting Lafreniere they're going to have the Kenyan heroes the ceremony the parade for them hoisting a Stanley Cup over their heads anytime soon, but at the same time, they're going to be on the fast track considering the young players that they currently have, the free agents that they got from last year, the goalie looks like it's going to be a stud, and then now to have Frenier part of the mix, uh, it's going to be long winters watching this team win. And to think, this was a Ranger team that even in the mid-2010s, they made it to a cup final, they made it to a couple of conference finals, they had a very good run under the Lundqvist, the goalie, era with the Rangers but now that they're starting to get the piece together as far as some young talent and explosive talent uh it's going to be back to the 80s and 90s of hating the Rangers like I once did because pretty much ever since that cup they have not done anything all right they made it to the cup final in 2014 and a couple of conference finals but you get the drift it's going to be tough to watch the Broadway blue shirts Have a lot of success here Probably over the course of the next 10 years or so Where the Islanders Hey if they win a cup this year Then great But Who knows That remains to be seen So all right, let's turn our attention now To baseball As the Reds Are now the next team up As far as contracting COVID is concerned One player Tested before Saturday's game Came down with a positive result Don't know who the player is at the moment I know the Reds Going back to maybe a few weeks ago Where Joey Votto had COVID-like symptoms Found out that it was negative As well as a couple of other players on the team But now when the Reds are the next team up Especially in a division where the St. Louis Cardinals Who are out for since July 29th Up until this past Saturday Where they swept a doubleheader against the White Sox Before losing yesterday They were a team that Going into that doubleheader were 2-3 and And missing out on all those games. And then the Reds, who had a lot of hype coming into the season, a team that people thought that they could actually maybe win a division, let alone make it to the postseason. Well, right now, their season is on hold, not knowing whether or not they're going to play this week into next week, etc. Now, it's only one player. Maybe what they could do is, over the course of the next couple of days, i will monitor it. Don't know, again, if that's a pitcher. Don't know if it's an everyday player. But with the Reds right now, you got to wonder, with the division pretty much upended with what the Cardinals had experienced due to COVID, is this going to be a thing where are the Reds going to be gone for any long stretch of time, especially in a situation where they got to play the Cardinals and the Cardinals need to make up games in the worst way. So something you got to keep your eye on there. Again, Major League Baseball, they are holding their breath, crossing their eyes, fingers, toes. Whatever it may be just to get through these 60 games Because as I segue that into a potential bubble scenario for the postseason I think it'd be a very good idea for baseball to do that Now it would be tricky from the start only because Of the expansion of teams this year Unlike the 10 teams that you would get 5 in each league You're going to get sixteen, eight in each league And I don't think there's any way that you could Possibly have 16 teams in a bubble To play a ton of playoff games Over the course of whatever it may be. At least the first week. Now I understand after the first week. Best of three. You're going to have eight teams out of there. Pretty much after a few days. But again to have all those teams. Where are you going to play these games? First off. They're going to have to be. At some area where. There's going to be a bubble. As we all know. Similar to the NHL and NBA. Then you're going to have these teams play not just in one stadium, you need two stadiums. I guess the best case scenario when you think about it probably would be in Texas, Arlington, where there are two fields, the former ballpark at Arlington and then the new, I think it's Globe Life Park, the new building that they've erected and opened this year. I don't think they've knocked down the old one. So if you have the two ball fields that you could play on and one is enclosed you don't have to worry about rain pretty much in that area. Obviously the heat shouldn't be as bad in October than it would be now in July and August. But I'm sure baseball's mulling over a potential bubble scenario where maybe once you get to the 8 teams that are left standing for the divisional series in each league, you could possibly do it at that point. Now where you're going to do it, that's a whole other story. You may have to do two bubble scenarios. Only because, let's just say for argument's sake, all right, you use Texas as one and wherever the other will be. Maybe you use California, Northern California, where you have two stadiums there with San Francisco and Oakland. Dare I even say here in New York? And you figure the Yankees are gonna be there, but maybe City Field, they'll use that as a potential spot to play games. Who knows? But you would only think that. you'd have to split it up because there's no way that you can have four games in one day as baseball would have because as you know the postseason when the DS begins you're going to have the American League let's say play day one and then day two you're going to have the American League and nationally play all four series in one day and you can't have it in one ballpark you just can't and then after that you have the one day where the NL has its day Then the AL has its day And then game four Which would be game three for the NL You may have a potential Four games being played In the same day And it would just be for the first round And just the DS Not for the qualifying round Best of three I'm sure they're weighing their options They're thinking about it I think it would be smart Again it would be very tricky For that first week That best of three Between those bottom teams That would make it into the postseason But baseball does have time, but they're going to have to be quick here because, as I said at the top, September is just two weeks away. And then before you know it, the season ends on the 27th. So it's not like it's ending October 1st or even September 30th. Those days are precious. So if baseball were to implement a bubble scenario, they would have to come down with a decision. You would think sometime between now, and I would think no later than the 15th of September and to me I even think that's late they should probably have something set in stone well before that so it's just something to keep in mind as Major League Baseball is doing whatever it can just to get through this regular season in hopes to getting all the money from the networks for the playoffs and I hope that they come up with something soon because if they're going to roll the dice and think that well let's just play it out as it is everybody be in their home stadiums etc well the last thing they want to have is a player Getting sick on the eve of the postseason Or during the postseason Where they're going to have to shut it down So if they have a bubble scenario I'm sure that will be the cure of all ills Once they get past September 27th And get started For their run to Red October Now as far as the Baseball Not a lot of news and notes I mean if anything You've had more injuries over the last week than anything And with the Yankees I tell you The Yankees could lose So many different players And if this was any other team Who knows how they would be able to rebound From such injuries But you had Giancarlo Stanton Last week Going on the I.L. with a hamstring And you figure "Ah, all right, typical Stanton He's always hurt Especially in the Yankee uniform We'll be okay Well then you find out that Judge is hurt And he has a calf strain Where he's on the I.L. So who do they bring up? Oh, they only bring up Clint Frazier Who had five RBIs the other day in a home run Now DJ LeMahieu gets hurt With a wrist And he's on the IL So who do they bring up? Only the runner up to the 2018 Rookie of the Year And Miguel Andujar So the Yankees just They're just loaded They just plug and play with guys that For the most part Are going to go in there and perform And not miss a beat And then last night You have a guy Mike Ford Who a lot of people compare to Babe Ruth Because of his girth His size And he hits a home run He drives in a few And the Yankees just Dominate the Red Sox And it's amazing when you think about The Yankees from this regard They have now beaten the Red Sox nine straight games going back to last year. And that's on top of the 18 games straight that they've won against the Orioles. So they have just had complete dominance of those two teams over the last year plus. And the Yankees, as we know, cruising even with the Tampa Bay Rays, slowly but surely creeping on their heels in the American League East. They're 14-6. and Remember, they got off to that kind of rough start, sluggish start. They even got swept by the Orioles a couple weeks back. But here they are. Just two games behind Then the Orioles I believe three games behind At the present moment And the Yankees As I said They should cruise to a Division title But if there is one thing That they need They desperately need Another starter Now Tanaka's been back He hasn't been good He did have the one good start Against Tampa That Friday night start Where they lost 1-0 But other than that He has not been good And with Tanaka You kind of go through The motions with him In the regular season He could have that Dominant performance And then Next thing you know, he gives up four home runs in a game. And come October, he's a guy that always shines and always is there when the moments are bright and the lights are shining. So with their rotation, they certainly need a reinforcement there. They don't need a number one starter. They got that with Garrett Cole, of course. But I believe they need a solid two, if not a 2A, to back up Cole. Because with Tanaka, although you expect him to perform in the postseason, but you never know with Tanaka from one game to the next... You're not going to rely on Jordan Montgomery. You're not going to rely on Jay Happ. Although he hasn't pitched too bad. You're not going to rely even on James Paxton. And Paxton's a guy who's hit or miss. He's the guy that can throw seven innings, strike out 12, give up one run and four hits. But he's also the guy that goes two and two thirds with three walks, five runs, six hits. So for them to get another starter, I think would be imperative. Who could they pluck from which team remains to be seen as two weeks from today, officially, guys. Two weeks from today would be the trade deadline. So we'll see if Brian Cashman has something up his sleeve to bring in some sort of reinforcement for that rotation. Now, as far as the other injuries concerned, especially with the front runners, Ronald Acuna Jr. is on the I.L. with a wrist that's been bothering him. And we all know about Mike Soroka, their ace starter on a team who's not going to be back this year. And we got to wait and see if the Braves, as I mentioned last week, if they're going to bring in anybody to Replace them or come close to replace him Because we know the Braves with back-to-back NL East champion titles They're looking to not only win another title But also go as deep as they can into October Unlike the last two Octobers So you would think the GM Alex Anthopoulos Will certainly be wheeling and dealing before August the 31st And then I'm not going to get into the whole Joe Kelly with the podcast Ross Stripling calling the Astros Rats and snitches I'm not going to waste my time on that people I mean You can go somewhere else with that If you Like Joe Kelly Don't like him Love. I mean It doesn't matter at the end of the day But anyway So we had some words to say about The Astros there But with the rest of the American League In the Central The Twins and Indians And the Indians have even admitted That the situation with the pitchers Zach Plesak And Mike Clevenger There was a little bit of a rift Or division in the clubhouse Because of that And remember, Francona's had some health issues, so he hasn't been there day in, day out. I believe he's back now, but you wonder if the Indians, if this is going to bring them together or pull them apart. Now, the Indians have played pretty well. They've come close to the pack there. One game behind the Twins, and even the White Sox, even after losing to the Cardinals after not playing for over two weeks, were able to salvage the third game of that series. And they're at 500, just three games behind the Twins at the current moment. When you go out west, the Astros have righted the ship themselves as they're winning four games in a row. And now you would think, even with as bad as they've played and they've underachieved and Altuve's just gotten off to an awful start, but the way the playoffs are going to shape up this year, as long as they're in second place or have a record over 500, you would think they're going to make the postseason. Remember, there are a lot of bad teams in the American League. We can go through the whole list. And as long as they... Would finish somewhere in the top eight You would think I mean if the Astros can't finish in the top eight Then you know they've had a bad year Considering their success over the last few years If you want to talk about their cheating scandal or not They still have the talent to put it together Now In the East Of course the Marlins They're going to be in first place Based on winning percentage But as we all know They played a lot less games In fact eight less games Than the second place team The Atlanta Braves So the Marlins, we're going to have to see. They have four games against the Mets upcoming. I'll get to the Mets in a second. But they have four games with the Mets upcoming. So we'll see how they fare against them to kind of keep them atop the NL East. But you would think they're going to have to make up a lot of these games somewhere down the road and it could catch up to a young team. Braves, we talked about, with Acuna going on the IL and them needing some starting pitching help. Phillies sweeping the Mets over the weekend. Let's see if they get on the right track as well as the Nationals who both of those teams have... Come out slow to start off the season. So let's see if they could rev up and get themselves going here to make a late August into September push. And then they're the Mets, 9 and 14, swept in Philadelphia after the Orioles manhandled them last week. And the Mets, uh what more can you say? I know a couple of weeks ago I touched on the whole scenario with the front office, the ONS, et etc. This is a team that is going nowhere fast, and it would be an embarrassment considering that they can't make it to the top eight. In the National League To have a shot at the postseason Uh, What more can be said about this team Uh, Jacob DeGrom had to miss a start Due to neck stiffness He may start on Wednesday Which would be his next scheduled start We know everything about their bullpen The situation with Diaz And now he's relegated to 8th inning work Their offense right now Is they're not able to hit They're not able to hit in big spots They can't hit with runners in scoring position Starting pitching, they got nothing from Porcello. He had one good start. I'll give him that. But Porcello has not done anything. Walker's been hurt. Also, Steven Matz, he's been just god-awful. Stroman then opts out, so he's gone for the rest of the year. So that looks bad on Brody because he brought him in last year for reinforcement, thinking that if Syndergaard were to be on the training block last year, as was rumored, and we know Syndergaard is on the shelf due to Tommy John surgery, so... That trade which sent Anthony Kay and I believe another pitcher up to Toronto. Not to say that they were the next Nolan Ryan or Jerry Kuzman to say the least. But with that trade amongst the Diaz-Cano trade and pretty much his only big and si- Jed Lowry, let's not forget that. One of the most terrible signings in Met history. And despite J.D. Davis being a plus as far as Brody's resume is concerned, I cannot see Brody anymore. He's got to go, as I've said couple weeks back and hopefully the ownership sells the team so Brody will definitely have to go and as far as Rojas is concerned I understand he hasn't had a good start here and some of his moves have been questionable we could get into all that but the bottom line is that this Met team is underachieved and who knows if they're going to be able to now watch they'll tease watch them get back in the mix watch them stretch their fans patience out for a wild card hope and a berth possibly into the postseason and then the last week of the season they'll lose five in a row and In typical Met fashion, they'll just implode and go into an offseason with more questions, scratching your head, shaking your fists in the air, just wondering why do I watch this team and suffer the way I do as a Met fan. So we got that. Also, the Central, the Cubs, who are in the top spot, three and a half games ahead of the Cardinals. Now remember, the Cardinals are four and four. So who knows if they're going to be able to make a postseason based on not only just their winning percentage, but games played. Then you have the Brewers, the Reds, as we talked about. Let's see what's going to happen with them over the course of the next, or who knows, maybe the next week. And then out West, the Dodgers, who have now won five in a row, and you think maybe they will start to pull away in that division where Colorado this time last week, they were ahead of the Dodgers in the standings, but they're entrenched in second place, followed by Arizona, San Diego, and then the Giants. So that's pretty much what you have there with baseball people. The latest and greatest there and let me see if I had other news and notes no that's pretty much it with the baseball as we can move along let's get to the NFL real quick and college football before we get to the hero and zero of the week great news in Washington one I'm going to save it for my hero of the week but great news as far as Alex Smith is concerned he has now been off of the pup list which is the players unable to perform List as he'll vie for his starting quarterback job in Washington We all know about the gruesome leg injury He suffered against the Houston Texans a couple years back A lot of people thought that Forget about him not playing That he may not even live Because of how severe the leg break was And the infections The 17 surgeries The possible amputation of his leg All of that Well guess what He is now going to Fight for the starting job And whether he gets it or not doesn't matter Just him coming back alone Is an absolute victory I'm sure not only in his heart and soul But in the family And the NFL family for that matter So good for him As he will see If he can get to Perform under center To start off their year You were thinking The next three and a half weeks So we'll wait and see How that unfolds As we know A couple of big signings In regards to some tight ends George Kittle Five years 75 million 40 million guaranteed Most ever for an NFL tight end And then right behind him Was Travis Kelsey He had the champion Chiefs Five years 57 million Also Kenny Clark Nose tackle for the Packers Got a big deal at four for 70 million But to me News that kind of gets Swept under the rug a little bit And was off the radar But I have to shout him out And that's the one Jerry Jones Now as we all know Jerry Jones is a guy Who never met a microphone or camera He did not like And as we all know He's been silent throughout this whole process Going back to everything that's unfolded in this country with the racial injustice George Floyd etc and not to say that he has to speak out on that or anything else for that matter but considering that he is arguably the most high profile owner in all of sports and a guy that always seeks attention has his own radio show in Dallas I mean think about that what owner of any team in any sport has their own radio show Maybe there's one, maybe there's another. I mean, we could go through all the top owners in sports. There's Mark Cuban, and look, in his own backyard. Does Mark Cuban have his own talk radio show or radio program regarding the Mavericks? Does Hal Steinbrenner here in New York for the Yankees have his own radio show? I think not. What about Jeannie Buss, the Lakers? Does she have our own radio show? I think not. But Jerry Jones, the one guy who earlier this week broke the silence after 109 days and said that He's consulted with the current president, former presidents, former players, current players, discussing the state of this anthem policy, and he has remained mum, but he did say that he's going to do it with grace, quote unquote. What that means, uh, certainly remains to be seen. Well, the one thing I'm sure people will say with J. Reels, well, why does he have anything to say? Why does he have to talk about that? That's not his business. That's not his doing. But Again. Missing out on the point, being a visible owner, always being at the forefront of talking about anything and everything, whether it's his own players, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, we could go in the past, Tony Romo, Terrell Owens, we could go through the whole laundry list of stuff that he's talked about over his career. And we know, as controversial as the whole anthem is to a lot of people, and he's the one guy, if you remember that Monday night game against Arizona, at midfield or in the sidelines, kneeling down that with arm in arm with the rest of his players. You figured that he would have something to say about this. And why doesn't he have anything to say about this up until this point is beyond me. Now, listen, he's not trying to unlock codes for a nuclear war here. You know, it's not like he's trying to break into Fort Knox. It's not as if he's trying to sabotage this upcoming election. So for a guy that always has something to say on any issue, on any matter, and he's just been mum about it Or saying that we're going to do it with Grace All he had to do was just say something And he did say something I get it But for a guy who just has so much to say And for him just to come out and say that It's almost as if Alright well Let's see what he's going to pull And he's just bringing that much more attention to his team By stating it in that regard So that Something that just didn't sit well with me And I've just figured To put it out there To see how that's going to shake down As we get closer to the start of the season and Hard Knocks, I haven't really got the chance to watch that I watched the beginning of it the other day That They're covering the Rams and the Chargers in LA The new stadium, et cetera. So I know a lot of it was COVID-related to start So uh, I'll certainly take a look at that As uh, I believe episode 2 is tomorrow night And lastly, with the college football Last week we talked about the Big Ten And how I thought it was smart for them to do that Smart for them to not play football this year And we know in the Power 5 the Big Ten and Pac-12, they are pretty much along the same guidelines and pretty much think along the same wavelength when it comes to something like this. As we heard later on in the day, the Pac-12 decided to cancel their football season. Same for the ACC and SEC; they're pretty much in bed with each other, thinking, "Hey, we're going to play conference games. That's all there is to it. There's no way that we're going to shut down for any stretch of the imagination, barring anything catastrophic." And then you have the Big Twelve, which is pretty much the neutral team out of the. Power 5 And sadly The Big 12 Faced a little bit of a dilemma As 9 Oklahoma Sooners Tested positive After returning from the break They had a break there In early August So they've come back And tested 9 players Who became positive Their opener for the 29th Has now been pushed back Into September And I get it was a break And they probably did Whatever they wanted to And hung around certain people and et cetera. Et cetera. But As I said last week And I'll say again It's going to be tough to police 18 to 21-year-old kids And keep them in a quote-unquote protective bubble Over the course of the next three to four months Because they're college kids They're going to want to go out They're going to want to explore They're going to want to If there are any parties uh, I'm sure that the universities are probably telling kids And explaining to kids that Keep your social distance No parties If you're in the library If you're in the cafeteria Make sure you stay as far apart If you don't have a mask on, etc You know the drill, people And to have these kids pretty much be quarantined from now until the end of November, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I know last week I did say that, but it's going to be next to impossible because these kids are going to want to go out. They're college kids. What do you think? They're just going to go from class to the facility to practice back to their dorm room and repeat for the next three and a half, four months. Good luck with that. That's why I did not have a problem with both the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceling their football seasons and on the heels of that you had the Ohio State quarterback who Ohio State obviously is in the Big Ten their quarterback Justin Fields started the petition because he wanted to reinstate Big Ten college football this season saying that we want to play he had received over 30,000 signatures up until I believe mid-afternoon yesterday and I'm sure it's probably higher than that at this moment He feels as if the players can abide by the health and safety protocols to complete a college football season. He feels as if that they could go ahead and do their best and that he wants to play and he's got the same sentiment from a lot of the players on his other team, which is fine and dandy, but here's the problem with that. Justin Fields is not going to be the guy who's going to change the minds of the Big Ten college football powers that be. Because he's going to need a lot more people And a lot more players than he To come out and say that He's going to need the likes of The Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh His own coach Ryan Day The Iowa coach and Kirk Ferentz. They're going to be the ones that are going to have to voice their opinions To the commissioner of the Big Ten And hopes to turn that around And as we know right now I'm sure that they're going to stand pat There is no way that Based on signatures Or based on a player in the conference Is going to turn the fate Of a college football season Based on those two things There's going to be a lot more than that As we all know There isn't one college player That's bigger than the sport Even if your name is Trevor Lawrence right now Your name could have been Deion Sanders Bo Jackson You can name any college football player of the past Just because they speak doesn't mean that the university is just going to bow down and say, all right, well, you know what? Okay, Justin, we get it. We we got 8 million signatures. Let's turn it around and we're going to play college football this year. It's not that simple. And trust me, you think these college football universities that they don't want to play? You know how much money they're losing by the day? Because there's no college football and especially once the season starts. So it's going to take a lot more than just some signatures or some voices being heard in order for them to turn that around but who knows I mean strange things have happened right this is 2020 and for all we know this time next week the Big Ten will be back same for the back 12 and away we go with college football so we'll see what happens there all right now as far as my hero in zero of the week my hero of the week I'll call him the Washingtonians they finally got something right they hired Jason Wright people wondering who the hell is Jason Wright well he was a former NFL player playing on a few teams scored a few touchdowns but Jason Wright has now become the first black president in the National Football League. That's all that needs to be said about that. Good to see, good to read for the Washington franchise, which obviously has not seen the postseason in forever, for their owner who has been inept ever since he's bought the team, and obviously with everything that's happened this past offseason with the sexual misconduct and the harassment and everything that Transpired with a lot of the personnel Including the play-by-play announcer You can't even make that up Well now between Alex Smith And his health And being part of the team again And now hiring the first black president of the NFL Well the Washington football team got Finally got something right So they're my hero of the week And then my zero of the week Is the kid from the Seattle Seahawks The Akima Siverand, Who was a cornerback Trying to make it onto the team Getting caught on video Trying to sneak in a female companion To the team hotel was then waived by the team, and I understand, you're a young kid, whether you're lonely or whether you're just feeling your oats or whatever it is, but come on, his professionalism went out the window, in this day and age, can't run that risk, any outside forces trying to impact, all it takes is that one person people, as we all know, and just a terrible error of judgment on his part, and who knows if he's even going to get a job in the league, Sorry my man you are my zero of the week And that'll do it here episode 150 in the books As always people I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day Your schedule to listen to what it is I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports I would greatly appreciate it people if you could go ahead and subscribe Rate and review on wherever you get your podcasts Whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM Wherever it may be All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, not just in sports people, but podcasts in general. And then hopefully that will generate interest among the likes of those outside who aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast, whether that's the former or current athlete, the blogger, broadcaster, sports writer, studio host, etc. I'm trying to get those people on here. I know it's been a little dry over the last month or so, but... In due time, I'm looking to do two podcasts a week, as you'll hear me every Monday with my State of the Union, but even more so to get that guest to share their experience on what it was like to play on the Diamond Ice, etc., or even broadcast it, report it, etc. So if you could go ahead and do that, people, subscribe, rate, and review, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, please follow me on any of my social media accounts. You could send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. Whether it's on Instagram at J Reels Or the J Reels Podcast Which is strictly sports On Twitter, J Reels 1 Just the number On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page And then you can send me an email The old-fashioned way At the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com Again, please send them I'll be able to answer them Follow up with you guys You know it I will do that ASAP And then lastly Which I haven't announced in quite some time So allow me to reintroduce My Patreon account Patreon is an account to support my work To continue to put out good work To not only produce this podcast But also as far as the production is concerned But other things I'm also looking to incorporate Down the road as I'm still getting started with this But down the road to incorporate some contests Maybe a little bit of merchandise uh, Also some exclusives that you'd only get through my Patreon account And that's a way to support me Whatever you want to support, I don't care. I'm looking, what, a dollar, five dollars, it doesn't matter. But all the instructions you can see if you go to www.patreon, that's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com, slash the J Reels podcast. If you go ahead, check that out and donate whatever you can, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it. Because as you may or may not know, sports is my love, sports is in my blood. It's been this since day one. I've been doing this podcast over two years, now 150 episodes, and I plan to do as long as the good Lord has me on this earth for 150,000 more, God willing, as I love to discuss everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, to South Beach, to South Central, to South Pacific, and all points beyond... Peace, love, and God bless, everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.